Let's make today the day you start the business that will change your life. You'll learn how at Income School. Income School is about taking your income into your own hands by creating a website that people will love, building a following, and earning a living online. And now your host, Jim Harmer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Income School podcast. As I said in our episode yesterday, this is a double header. Yesterday, I talked about five things that I learned in my internet business in the last two months. And today, we're going to talk about five more of those things because I wanted to break it up, make it a little bit more consumable. Not everybody has an hour long commute. So I thought if I broke it up on two days, it'd be a little bit easier to consume. But these are really important lessons that I've been learning. And if you can take my experience, and the mistakes and, and wins that I'm getting and apply it to your own business, you're going to learn it twice the rate because you'll have your own as well. All right, the first tip that I want to talk about today that I've really seen in the last couple months is negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. I looked at what I've done over the last year and I would estimate that over the last year, I've saved about $17,000 by negotiating. $17,000. Uh, and, you know, part of that is because we're dealing with bigger numbers uh, in the business. But there are a, a huge amount of things in, you, in your life that you can save money on and that you can earn more money with by negotiating. Let me give you an example with my business. I recently did an affiliate deal with another company. So an affiliate deal is where you send a, a link to another company. And if somebody you send to their company buys that product, you get a cut of the sale. And the stated commission for the deal was $50. And so I saw that it was a $50 commission. I liked the product. I really did want to recommend it. And I thought, ah, $50. I'm wondering if I can get them up more. And so I simply sent, sent the company an email. And I said, hey, I know you have a, a commission rate of $50. I think I can give you a lot of sales because I really believe in your product. And judging from the price of the product, I think you can make a lot of money off, off a sale, even if your commission were higher. I'd be glad to recommend your product. I'd like a $90 commission. It took about 15 minutes and they emailed back and said, sure, we'll change your commission rate to $90. That is huge. If you think about, you know, it nearly doubles my commission for every single person that I sent to this company. And it's just amazing what a little negotiation can do. Think if that's a company you do a lot of business with over the next few years, a product you consistently recommend, that could be an, a huge, huge amount of money just by asking. I didn't have to do anything other than just ask. And what would have happened if they wouldn't have taken the deal? They would have written back and said, no, thank you. And that would be it. But so often we're too afraid to ask. And so get out there and negotiate. You'd be amazed with what is negotiable if you'll ask. And I'll give a couple more examples of that. So five quick tips for negotiating. 
Uh, an example, yet another example is, you know, you think, okay, you can negotiate that kind of stuff, but you certainly can't negotiate when you go to the, you know, go to the grocery store or something. You can't go to the checker and say, hmm, this apple's a little bruised. Can I get a discount? Actually, you'd be amazed that you can do all that kind of thing. And I do all the time. Yesterday, I went to the optometrist who actually had an interest in, in internet business. I hope he's listening to this. And, uh, and he did my eye exam, really nice guy. And we talked about some of his internet business ideas, which I hope go great for him. And as, and then he took me into, you know, this was, it was in Shopco and, you know, they have a little optometrist office in it. And so I, I went into the glasses, you know, and, and it's Shopco that does the glasses. That's not this guy. It's, you know, that's Shopco. So he, he takes me in and uh, to the, there were some ladies there that, you know, helped you find the frames that you wanted and, and order your glasses. And then that's purchased through Shopco. Well, uh, I, I sat down and I, I looked through all the frames and I asked a few questions and I'm always very, very careful when I'm purchasing things not to look too thrilled with the product. And, and you don't have to put on a show to do that. You, it, you just have to change a little bit about your, about the way that you shop for things. Some people shop for everything as it's a, as if it's a necessity. If, if I need any prescription, I must get glasses and contacts and I need good ones. Uh, but you know, I went through it and I just calmly tried to keep everything back and I picked some and I found the ones that were the best and I pointed out some of the things that I was concerned with with the frames to the to the to the lady who was helping me, the optician. And she told me the price. The price was two hundred and sixty-five dollars or something like that, if I remember right. And I said, Ooh, I don't know if I would pay two sixty-five. It's only I have really good vision. I only need it for for distance and and Really, it's just not a big deal. Vision hasn't been bothering me. I just wanted to get a checkup, and uh, so I said, uh, "I'll think about it." But I don't. I don't know that I would pay that much. Maybe I just don't need glasses. Well, the doctor called me back, and and we did some other things, some other tests, and he dilated my eyes. And then I went back and talked to the optician again, and she says, "Oh, you know what? I found another coupon. I can get you down to two hundred ten dollars now." I sat there and I ho-hummed about it and I pointed out some of the things that I didn't love about it, how they, I didn't know that that style would fit me, but they didn't have the kind that I usually like in sunglasses and, and pointed those and she said, and so she looked again and, oh, suddenly she was able to get it down to 190 and then I purchased glasses. Well, a total savings of over seventy dollars, uh, from two sixty-five to one to one ninety. I made a great return on my investment, and all I had to do was not be so crazy excited about uh, about the sales. By doing that, you don't have to necessarily ask for a discount, especially in there where it could be awkward because it's a retail store that don't usually you don't think of them as negotiating. But but by just voicing some of your concerns calmly, not being a whiner, uh, you'd be surprised at how negotiable some of these things are. And I was being honest; I probably wouldn't have paid two sixty five for the glasses because I really didn't need them. Um, but at one ninety, yeah, I was happy to get them. All right, so that's the first thing is just don't go crazy uh, about about making a purchase. Just think about it calmly and you'll be surprised when a salesman sees that, that they'll be willing to just offer a discount without you even asking for it. The next tip is make the other person say the price first. As soon as you go to a car lot, what's the first thing they want to know from you? 
How much do you want to spend? That's the first thing they want to know. And you can guarantee they will show you cars slightly above that to try to get you interested. And they will never show a car that's much less that really fits your needs because they want the highest commission possible. So they want you to say your price first. So what do I do when I get to the car lot? I say what's actually true. I say, well, I really want a car that's going to fit my needs. I, I, I could be approved for just about any price, but uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a tightwad, honestly, and I, I just I'm not going to spend more than I think is necessary. So I want you to show me a good range of prices and I'll see what actually fits my needs. And when I do that, it uh, kind of opens up the salesman's eyes and he sees it. Oh, you know, he, this guy really is going to pick what works for him. He's not just going to go for the luxury car just because he can afford it. Make the other person say the price for first. And if they ask you, put the question right back on them. You know, if you're, you're, you know, dealing with somebody on a business deal and they, and they say, how much are you willing to pay? Say, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what's it worth to you. You know, I go to a garage sale and they say, make an offer on this. And they say, and I say, oh, yeah, I don't know. What's it worth to you? And, and uh, they won't usually want to keep bouncing it back, back and forth. So if you, you bounce it back to them once, they'll usually say, you'd be surprised how often that you would have been willing to pay double for that item. Uh, but they, that's just what they say it is. And so you go along your merry way and you get a great, great, great deal. All right, the next tip is be honestly conflicted. This one is golden. I do this when uh, when we purchased our, our house, the house we purchased last year, when we purchased a car, when I, I purchased a boat recently. Every time I find a way to convince myself to be honestly conflicted. Let me tell you how this worked out in a recent car purchase. I went to a lot of different lots. Why did I spend so much time looking at different lots? Well, I figured if I earned, if I could find a car that was $2,000 less and it took me two days to do it, well, I earned a thousand bucks a day and that's just great. So I look, spent a lot of time looking at the cars and each time I wouldn't write one off immediately. If it fit my needs, I would keep it in the running. Why did I do that? And why was I trying to convince myself to like some of these cars? Because then when I found a car that was perfect, I could go to that salesman and I could honestly say, uh, as soon as I walk up to the dealership, I could say, you know what? I found this other car. I think I might be choosing it. It costs less. But uh, I want you to show me show me what you got. Uh, suddenly, the salesman knows. Hmm. I I am gonna pick that other car unless we get something, and so he's gonna be willing to bring that price down until he barely has a commission less left to get that car to me. And this last time I did that, this worked so well that I actually had one car dealership call the other dealership to make sure that what I had told them was legitimate about the price that I was getting from the other dealership on the same car. They couldn't believe that the other car dealership was willing to sell it for that price, and so they actually called them. And I had on the phone these two car salesmen from different dealerships arguing about what they would they would give me that exact same car for. It was beautiful. And when I drove that car off the lot, there was not even a tinge of guilt because I knew I could not drain even another dollar out of that deal. Uh, it was awesome. 
And I've done that multiple times with different car companies. That was the only time that they actually called each other. But every time it, when I'm purchasing a house, you know, you you tell your realtor, you know, I, I like these houses. All of these fit my needs. This one's a little bit more, but we do like it. Um Let's submit an offer uh, for this at, at that price. If I could get that nicer house at this price, I'd take it. Otherwise, I'll choose the, the cheap one and be honest about it. Really be conflicted. And what happens when that realtor calls the other realtor with the offer? He will say, you know, they found this house. It, it's He's going to need a little bit of a deal to get it, but otherwise he's going to choose this one. What does that mean? That, it means that if the seller it wants to make a counter offer, they know it's going to be rejected. It's really that. And several times as, as I've bought and sold houses, bingo, it worked perfectly. Uh, and another example of that that made us some money last year, we were selling our house and we listed it at listed it at a certain price. Somebody came, looked at it and made a, an offer that was decent, but, but lower than what we wanted. And so we wrote back and we said, no, well, we want full price for the house. It just hit the market, but we'll, you know, we'll pay $500 your closing costs. Well, buyer, buyer thought that we were too far apart on price. So they walked. And so most people would say, ah, nuts, my, my trying to nickel and dime, somebody lost the sale and great. Now I didn't sell my house. Not me. I waited two weeks and I figured, you know, uh, this guy, you know, may still be looking. So I called up the realtor again. That was, uh, the buyer's realtor. And I said, Hey, your, your guy offered, uh, made an offer on the house and, and they walked away. I was really surprised that he walked away so quickly. Um, you know, would he be interested in the house again if we paid all of his closing costs, but he, um, but he paid full price for the house plus some other little things and bingo, the, the buyer took the house. And I learned that the problem wasn't the purchase price. The problem was the closing costs. This guy had basically nothing to put down on his house. And by changing the way that the offer was, was, uh, was submitted just where the money would come from, we were able to get our full purchase price from the house. We really expected to pay the the closing fees anyway. So that was another great example and it made us several thousand dollars in selling that house. The next tip is give a logical reason for the discount. If you if I just walked up to Shopco and I and I sat down to buy the glasses and I said, I want $60 off. Uh, it's just not going to go out, go over very well. People don't want to feel like they're losing money. Uh, and so you want to give a logical reason for it. That's part of the being conflicted is the reason they're going to give the discount is they're going to lose the sale otherwise, but you can do other things. For example, we wanted to hire somebody to mow our lawn. I'm terrible at getting the lawn mowed. It grows, it overgrows. It looks awful in the neighborhood association since it's a notice. And so we, uh, we decided we should get somebody to mow our, mow our lawn because I'm just horrible at, at doing it. Uh, and my wife used to work for a, a lawn mowing company when she was a teenager. And she, so she's picky about the lawn. She doesn't like it when I do a bad job. Um, so we were going to hire a company to do it. And I saw road signs and I thought, oh, I should call one. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to call any of them because I know that uh, they must be losing a ton of money just spending so much time driving house to house. And so I thought if I find one, somebody who's a company who's doing a, a lawn in my neighborhood and I just go up to them and I say, Hey, I'll give you $20 to mow my lawn each week. I bet they'd take it. Even though it's normally about 35 in my market. 
And so I waited. I found somebody and I said, hey, my house is right around the corner. You got to drive here anyway each week. It doesn't matter to us what day of the week you mow it. You could do it the same day of the week that you mow this guy's lawn. I'll give you $20. It's a small lawn. And without even seeing the lawn, the company accepted the deal and they've mowed my lawn all summer long. It's negotiating and it worked because I gave them a reason. And in that case, I knew what the going rate was. And so I didn't want to ask him how much he would he wanted because he probably would have asked wanted about $35 for the deal, which is kind of the going rate. But since I knew that going rate, I was able to, to give a price and a reason for it to be low. And uh, it made sense to the other party. The last tip that I want to give is this goes out to all of you who are nice, kind people. And it is that you are not doing anybody favors by not getting the best price. You're not being a nice guy by not negotiating. You're not being mean when you negotiate. And when I say I try to, to suck every last dime out of a deal, I mean it. I If if I think I can get another $50 off on this car purchase, even the car's, uh, you know, $17,000 and I'm fighting over the last $50, I'm going to fight for that last $50 because it only takes five minutes. And if I can earn $50 in five minutes, that's great. And I'm going to do it. The problem is that people feel bad doing that. You feel like you're taking something away from other people. That's not the case. Your job when you start working every day is to get the most money you can for your family to meet your needs. That's why you're going to work. Their job is to get the most money they can from a sale. That's how our markets run. That's what capitalism is. And if you are laying down on the job, you're not negotiating, you're too afraid to ask for a price, you're not doing your job. You're not being a breadwinner. If you're supposed to get out there and you're supposed to provide for your family, then go out and win some bread and get every last dollar that you can. There's one exception to this. Uh, and that is when the deck is stacked against somebody, when when uh, when the the bargaining power is just not fair. For example, if I were to go out to the lemonade stand in front of the park and I was I were to talk down the, the little four year old who's selling the lemonade stand and I eventually convinced him that you he owed me 10 cents because the lemonade was bad. That's not fair because this kid uh, has no bargaining power against me. I can basically get whatever I want out of that kid. Um, So it's just not fair in that situation. But you know what? You're dealing with somebody who is able to run a company and you're dealing with somebody who you can fight every last dime from. And so I think negotiate, 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 negotiate is an incredibly important skill for you to learn in your business. And if you're too afraid to do it, you're going to lose a lot of money. I told you at the beginning as I rang up the tally over the year, it's $17,000 and probably a little bit over that just from this year. Now, of course, that's dealing with bigger numbers in the business. It may be smaller to you, but if it's small, if the numbers are smaller for you, that means that even a little win is going to mean more money. So don't be afraid, negotiate. All right, let's go on to the next tip that I've learned. And that is get everything in writing. I dealt with Two calls last, uh, let's see, was it last night? Night before last, two calls from friends who were in a panic and knew I was an attorney and they called me and were in some real legal trouble for one simple reason. What would have fixed both problems is if they had simply gotten their agreement in writing. 
And when you're dealing with an online business, you're not an attorney. And so you aren't sure what to do. And you're like, I don't know where to get a contract. So I'll just talk to this guy and we'll agree on something and move on. A contract is simple. I mean, when I say get it in writing, if this is a small deal, it's just not a a huge deal. Just after you talk to somebody verbally, say, hey, I'm going to send you an email uh, that that just uh, that expresses my understanding of what we talked about. I want to make sure we, we understand each other. Would you just send me an email back once you get that and, and say that you agree and, and that's, that's your understanding of the deal as well? It's that simple. That's a contract. That's something you've both agreed to. Now, if it's a more serious something, maybe you'd even want to talk to an attorney. But for day-to-day stuff, just get an email. Just if you talk to somebody, say, I'm going to write you an email that expresses, that expresses our agreement. And then when you write that email, just think of every detail. What could possibly go wrong here that could make them unhappy or you unhappy? And just write those contingencies. The other person just emails back and says, yep, looks right. And that you bang you got a contract. So do that on a more formal contract. Just write out those same things and have them sign and date it. It does not have to be terribly sophisticated. If you get anything in writing, you're going to be leagues ahead of everybody else who does all these verbal contracts all the time. Just get it in writing. Be clear about everything that's going to happen. The next lesson that I've, that I'm learning in my business is I was looking at my analytics the other day I saw that it is a tiny fraction, a tiny fraction of my website visitors that actually supports my business, that actually pays me to do what I do, that actually buys digital products. It is just tiny, tiny, tiny. And so one thing that I'm going to work on for most of the year next year, my goal with my main my main website is to be to earn money from the revolving door. I've always done the very best I can to make my site sticky, to make sure that when somebody gets on the website that I get them on my email list, that I get them on my Facebook group, that I get them to subscribe to my YouTube channel, that I just get them get at least one little hook in them to keep them around. I've always worked on that. But now what I'm going to do is is work for that low-hanging fruit. Some of the people, you know, when you have millions of people coming to your site, a, f- a portion of those people are going to be interested in an ebook just because it's there. They're they're avid ebook readers and they're gonna buy it. They're you know they love video training DVDs and they're gonna buy your DVD. Whatever it is that you offer, some of them are gonna buy it. And so next year, I'm gonna set a goal to earn more money each day just off my raw traffic that comes to the website. And so I'm going to offer digital products, but I'm also going to incorporate advertising on my website. And the way that I've decided to do that is I don't want to to confuse the issue or make the site look less valuable to my core audience. But there are 10, I mean, we get, oh, I'd have to look at the analytics, maybe 14,000 people come to the website every single day. And so of those 14,000 people, you know, a few, just a handful are going to give me any kind of, uh, any kind of money. Most of the money that I get is from people who are on my email list, on my Facebook group, etc. And so why in the world am I having these 14,000 people just walk inside one side of the revolving door and write out my business the other? Uh, If this is a business, I should do my best to earn some money from that traffic. And so I'm going to include advertising on the website that could earn a good chunk of money uh, over the next year 
But the way that I'm going to not have it annoy my users is something that I think is, is going to be really cool is that I'm setting up the website so that if you log in to the website, then there you don't see any ads. And so I'm adding a forum to the website. And so if people log in for the forum, if they create a login, another added benefit is they never have to see ads on the site. So that is awesome because then I get more people participating on the forum just because they didn't want to see the ads. So I th- I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm also looking at more affiliate deals that I can offer in posts and uh, and also just doing a better better job of showing what products we have that people may be interested in. So earn money from the revolving door is another lesson that's really sunk in recently and I'm going to work on a lot next year. Next is what wakes up your business more than anything else. Think back if you've been running your blog even for a little a little bit Think about what things you've done that really started to see some traction uh, and do more of those things as, as obvious as, as it seems. There are a lot of things that I work on every day that really aren't about waking up my business. You know, I'm negotiating a, an affiliate deal, I'm answering emails, I'm working on a site redesign, etc. And those aren't really the things that wake up my business. What really starts my audience to get on fire is when I produce some kind of engaging content, a YouTube video, a podcast. It's, uh, you know, I go out and I shoot photos and share them. Those are things that always wake up my audience more than anything else. And so I've been focusing a lot more of my time on doing those most high level things that really wake up my audience and doing a lot less of the other stuff. And what I found is as I just skip a lot of the other things, it all kind of sorts itself out and it ends up fine. If you didn't answer every single email, you know what? It's okay. Uh, you're, you're doing the more important things and every once in a while, it's just fine to skip an email that's just not that important. Uh, it, it can make you feel bad for doing that. I would love to be able to get everything done. But the fact is that if I have a finite amount of time to work, I need to work on what's going to do the very best to, to provide for my family. And so that's what I'm going to do. One last tip. This one's important, and it's something that I kind of touched on yesterday, but I want to talk about it a little bit of a higher level. It's so important that you understand this, and that is chart your course. We had a really difficult decision to make uh, over the last month. Now, the way that my finances work are I get um, a monthly distribution from the business, a quarterly distribution from the business, and that quarterly distribution is just equal to the amount that I need to pay in quarterly taxes uh, from my personal account. Um, And so we've set up the business so that I get paid quarterly that same amount, and it just makes it easier to run my personal finances knowing I don't have to like save up for the quarterly taxes. I'm going to get a distribution from the business for that amount. A lot of self-employed people do it that way. And you want to make sure that you're not just dipping into the business anytime you want. These are set amounts that are in writing at the start of the year so that nobody can say that I'm just using my business account as a as another personal account, which would uh, cause some liability concerns for sure. But at the end of every year, I get a yearly distribution. And that distribution is a variable amount. We go through our standard channels to get it. And we look at the business account. We see how much is in there. And 
at the end of the year, I, I end up having a pretty substantial amount of money in there uh, that's over and above what we need to operate the business, and it's over, above, over and above what we've already paid ourselves during the year. So at the end of every year, usually in the month of December, we, my wife and I need to decide what we're going to do with that chunk of money as it comes in. Well, it was just such a such a lesson to me this year as we've started to discuss that, what we're going to do with that chunk of money. There are a lot of different places that we can put it. We can reinvest it in the business. There are a couple other businesses that we looked at and we considered buying another business. Um, we looked at uh, putting the money in real estate and we looked at putting the money just in a regular old mutual fund. We looked at all these investments And it was so helpful to us that my wife and I are on the exact same page when it comes to finances to be able to make this decision because we looked at, at, uh, at spending the money on purchasing another business and we said, well, this could give us a huge reward. A business typically sells for two times its yearly earnings and it varies dramatically depending on on the type of business and how the income's earned and, and lots of different things. Uh, but but generally, we'll say it's about two times uh, your business's earnings, your gross earnings for the year. So um, we looked at a couple other businesses and we, we looked at one and we thought, you know, boy, we could buy this dentist's office, this CPA firm. Uh, and if we just put out two years of their income, we own the business. And then every year after those two years, when the investment pays for itself, we just get another check from another whole business uh, that we'll own forever. That's awesome. So the the potential for increases is, is incredible. That, that's, that's an awesome opportunity. Um, and we also looked at, at uh, different stocks and different things we could get that could give us really good rewards, but they're risky. Any business is not guaranteed. It doesn't matter how good the numbers look, it's never a guarantee. Even if somebody's retiring and has run the business for 20 years, not a guarantee. And so we looked at our goals, what we want to accomplish with our life and our finances and what we want for our family, and we were able to easily see that that wasn't what our course is set to do. Would I love to be the mega millionaire with $150 million at retirement? Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love that. But you know what? My wife and I would be so freaking happy if we just got uh, to live a carefree life with our kids where we didn't have to worry about finances and we could do a lot of the things that we like to do. We like going on trips. We like having toys and doing fun things and, and going on vacations with the kids. If we can do all those things, we'll be so happy with that that we really have no need to make a risk, a risky investment. And we're on track to get there. We're doing a lot of that right now. And so why would we need to, to, to make this risky investment? And so quickly we saw, nope, we would rather have a bird in the hand. That's a pretty sure bet and, and, and just have what we're going to be very, very happy with. So the risky investment was out. That wasn't what, that's not compatible with the course that my wife and I have charted for our family. And then we we looked at the real estate and we said, well, that's a good investment. It's a pretty reliable investment. Things can go wrong. A renter can destroy your house. Sometimes you may not get quite quite what you want. Um, it is going to take a little bit of family time to do that, to run that. And we talked about maybe we should hire a property management company, etc. Um, and we looked at that and we said, okay, this is a good choice, 
But it is one that's going to take our time, and that's a significant concern. We want to spend time with the family. That's the course that we've charted. And then we looked at a mutual fund, and we said, well, you know, no investment is guaranteed. But you know what? A good diversified index fund is so likely to succeed over the long run, and we don't need the money in the short run, so likely to succeed that it's virtually a, a, a guarantee over the course of time. You know, you can lose money, you can lose a lot of money in a, in a year or two, but over the course of time, you're very likely to do well with your investment. And so what did, what did we decide? We decided, put the money in a mutual fund. That's the most compatible choice with the the course that our family has charted. And we've we also decided that we are very interested in in rental real estate, even if it takes a little bit of time, but we're going to get a property management company to help us with that. It if we have enough money to do both. Our mutual fund is our primary investment. If we have money to do both, then maybe we'll purchase a paid for rental property. We don't want to, we're not even close to considering going in debt for an investment. Um, but if we decided to do that, then yes, that's something we want to do to diversify our our investment as well, to be the most sure that our family can get what it wants. And it, it was such a simple decision a complicated financial matter with where you'd have to make spreadsheets and all kinds of stuff. We were able to make in about 15 minutes, me and my wife sitting down. Why? Because we are totally on board with the same plan for our finances. We know exactly where we want to get to, when we need to be there, and we have the same we've developed the same risk tolerance it was not always that way but we uh, i've always been more interested in in a riskier investment and my wife always likes the sure bet and we've come together we've kind of helped each other see our ways and we've kind of met in the m- middle on that and so i just wanted to to encourage you to sit down with your spouse again i know i talked about this a little bit yesterday but please sit down with your spouse your your family and and talk about where you want to be at retirement where you want to be at the end of this year where you want to be at the end of next year not so much to make goals but to chart a course and talk about what your family really wants. And as you talk about those things, I want you to remember to only spend your best dollars. As you're talking about where you want to be, make sure you, you're not including the cruft of life. Do you need a PlayStation 4 to, to be happy? No. No. It, it's fun. Maybe that's your hobby and, may, and maybe you want to have some of those hobbies. But you know what? Is that really what made you happiest last year? The answer may be yes. Maybe you got a teenage son that you wanted to connect with and actually you've played a lot of video games together and it's been awesome for your relationship. Maybe that is your best dollar. Maybe it's just a waste of time. You know, your cell phone bill, it's not your best dollar. That's not the best money you've spent over the over the last year. Uh, you know, it's something that probably has distracted you from living a life. And so the, don't talk about your cell phone bill and how we're going to make it so that we can afford a cell phone bill. Did driving a Jaguar make you a better person last year? No, that's not your best dollar. You may have loved it. It may have been fun, but it's not your best dollar. It didn't make you the best person that you're going to be. As my wife and I looked over the last year and and what we've spent and and where we spent our dollars, what we looked at is some of the very best dollars we spent were 
going out to the movie for $2 to the cheap theater. We always go to the cheap theater. Uh, going to the cheap theater and going and watch a movie with the kids. Watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the new one, which isn't as funny as it really should have been. <laughs> it just wasn't that funny, but it was a good show. Um, or, you know, we went on a, a, we went to a hotel one night, you know, and we just drove to a neighbor, neighboring city and we stayed in a hotel for one night. The whole thing cost us like 70 bucks. And it was so fun for our kids. We played in the hotel pool. They loved it. Actually, as we looked over the year, we said, well, we spent a certain amount of money on a on an international vacation that we took to visit another another country. That was so fun. I was glad we did it. But you know what? Probably would have been just as fun if we would have gone to, to a neighboring city and just stayed in a hotel for a couple of days. And so those weren't our best dollars either even though it's something that people dream about. And we went through just everything that we spend money on. And there were a lot of expenses that as we got to them, we said, you know, why do we do that? That's just dumb. Why in the world do I pay $70 a month for cable? Now, can I afford cable? Yeah, I made half a million dollars last year, but we cut it. Why? Because it wasn't our best dollar. Those were not the best dollars we spent. And so we looked at ways that we could just cut to the bone things that were not our best dollars that we spent. And we looked at ways that we can dramatically increase our best dollars. And by doing that this year, it is incredible what it's done for our family. We were able to do it because we're all on board. We're willing to sacrifice on something that isn't truly the dollar that's going to make us a better person, give us a better family. And we know where we want to be. And so it's easy to come to those decisions. Well, that's the podcast for today. A little bit of personal finance, but you know what? That's what internet business is all about. I don't really care how you earn your income. I really don't. Maybe you want to stay in the corporate world forever. That's fine. But the point is that when you get your income, you want to take really good care of it. And income school, when it comes right down to it, is about providing for your family however is best. And these are ways that you can provide better for your family and how you can be more successful in the business you run. I hope it's an internet business because they are dang fun. I hope you enjoyed the episode, but more importantly, implement it. See ya. When you're serious about launching your website, check out Jim's free step-by-step -step tutorials at IncomeSchool.com. Income School is a production of Improv Photography, LLC. Any opinions expressed by guests and callers do not reflect those of Improv Photography, LLC. Results mentioned not typical. Some links mentioned are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Some calls simulated. Improv Photography, LLC is not a law firm and does not give legal or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a competent licensed CPA or lawyer licensed in your jurisdiction before making business decisions.